tonight, if you've got a copy of the uh, prayer bulletin on the inside is the copy of the, uh, the, the lesson tonight. And we, we kind of launched last week on this a little bit. We're going to continue tonight. And I've been going through this series that I have entitled uh, a, a Clarion Call. And the word clarion is, just means a clear, a certain sound is what the Bible tells us uh, when you think about the Word of God, the truth. And there's a lot of people today that want to sell the truth. They want to change the truth. And so tonight, I'm going to finish what I started last week. I've entitled tonight's uh, lesson, The Tragedy of Changing. And, uh, you know, to me, I, when, I, when I think about this, uh, the verse I gave you last week there in your outline, Proverbs 22, 28, look at this verse. Everybody see that? Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And, uh, you know, when God gave us his word, God's word is complete. Uh, and, and as we think about it, uh, God has instructed us not to add anything to it, nor to take anything away from it. And so when I think about this, listen, it's important that we understand what we have. But I'm, a, I'm afraid, and it's not just today, it's been going on for so long, that there's so much thinking out there. But most of that thinking is not what you would call biblical thinking. If we're Christians, our lives, our thoughts need to be centered around the Word of God. If you're, if you're trying to raise a family, you have to center that around the Word of God. If you're, if you're trying to maybe, maybe uh, you know, with your finances, uh, you, you look at the Word of God. If you're if in your life, when it comes to your spirit or your temperament, you, you center that around the Word of God. And, and listen, in our lives, we, our thinking must be biblical thinking. And, and when, I, when I think about what so many are doing today and it's become more and more public is that people have been busy and what they've been busy at is they've been busy chopping off certain elements of what we call the truth, the Word of God. And uh, God, again, wants us to have all the truth. I think about, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times people ask me, Pastor, why are there so many different versions of the Bible? <laughs> you understand all the different versions just create confusion. And that's a work of the devil, uh, to have all these many versions. And, and we don't need a new Bible. God's given us his word. What we need to do is we need to study it and we need to understand it. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit of God. But so many people today are trying to chop off certain elements of the truth. But we need to remember the statement that I made last week. And here it is, that compromise is not an event, it's an evolution. Uh, this is something that it, it, it's, it, it is something that is evolving when you think about this matter of change. Now, listen, I, I think from time to time, certain things do need to change. I know this, as a Christian, I haven't arrived yet, so I need to change some things in my life. Hopefully you feel the same way about yourself and your growth because again, I think all of us need to understand it. But when it comes to truth, truth doesn't change. It's forever settled. But see, people today, and, and again, this isn't anything new. I'm not coming up with some new concept. Listen to this, in a, in a letter to the noted evangelist George Whitfield, uh, John Newton wrote, this to, to George Whitfield. Listen to what he wrote. The longer I live, the more I see of the vanity and the sinfulness of unchristian disputes. They eat up the very vitals of religion. 
I grieve to think of how often I have lost my time and my temper in that way in presuming to regulate the vineyards of others when I have neglected mine own. When our dear Lord questioned Peter after his fall and his recovery, he said not, art thou wise, learned, and eloquent? Nay, he said not, art thou clear and sound and orthodox? But this only is what he said to Peter, lovest thou me? See, so many times we think about Listen, I, you know, I need to be, I need to be, you know, with this crowd. I need to be changing some things around. Listen, folks. Again, our lives, we, they need to be enriched by the Word of God. There needs to be a change. But when it comes to the Word of God and the truth, the truth changes not. But so many times, people are people are trying to change that. And last week, what I gave you was some of the contributing components when it comes to this matter of compromise or change. And so let me give you a few more tonight as we think about this. Now, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 2 Timothy. That's where we were last week, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And if you know this chapter, how it begins, here's how it begins. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form, remember we talked last week about that frame that was empty, no picture, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, and he says, from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses, and they lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lust. And so last week we looked at, at, at a couple of the components that contribute to this matter of compromise. Now we're going to pick it up right here in this passage beginning tonight in verse number 7. The, first, the next component to this matter of compromise is what I would call a scholastic pride. A scholastic pride. Look at verse 7. Look at these words. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember what they said uh, to, to uh, Paul? They said, too much learning hath made thee mad, is what they said to him. Uh, there were times where they accused Jesus of something like that. And, and it, when, you, when you think about this, now again, don't get me wrong. Look, I believe in education. I, I'm not down on education. Matter of fact, I was a part of, uh, of a, a education, a Bible college uh, uh, scenario for 12 years. I loved it. And, and I always encourage Anyone that feels that, that God may be leading them, and even if God isn't leading them, I, usually when I talk to young people, I'll say, listen, you ought to consider get, giving God year, one year of your life to go off to Bible college just to get the right foundation before whatever career choice or whatever direction God's leading you. I think it's good for everyone. And, and so I, I believe in education you know, in my own life. I mean, I've got a, I've got a couple degrees, but, but honestly, those degrees don't, 
you know, if nobody's ever asked me whenever I've gone to churches, whenever I've spoke somewhere, whenever I've, when God's led me, even coming here, I've never had somebody walk up to me and say, hey, what was your GPA? They just haven't. Now, a lot of people would be surprised because my, my GPA from high school graduation to my bachelor's degree in college, my GPA from, from high school to college doubled. Now, some of you don't get that. It was bad. Now, the reason it was bad was because I was unsaved and I was living for the world and the flesh and I was just doing whatever I wanted to do. It wasn't that I couldn't be a good student. Let's see what made the difference. I'll never forget when I was when I was graduating from college, and, and, and God God knows my heart. When I graduated from college, I was amazed at what God did while I was in college. Because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So when it came to studying, I just I learned how to study. That's what I learned. And I, I'm still the same way today. Uh, there's, there's men that are so much more brilliant. I, I mean, I just don't have the smarts. But I was, I was sitting, there's God, he's calling right now. And so, and, and so I was sitting at graduation uh, I, in, in my chair, and, and of course the story was relayed to me. My wife was sitting with my mom. And my mom had one of the programs. Now my mom, you know, moms know your kids. She remembered how I was in high school. And my mom's sitting there with my wife, and she's looking through the program, and, and by some of the graduates, there's either one asterisk or two asterisks or three. And if you've ever seen that, it's basically the uh, uh, summa cum laude and magna cum laude and all that type of stuff, which it's whatever. It just doesn't matter to me. My wife looked over at my, my, my mom looked over at my wife, and she says, They've got a, some of these things by Dane's name. <laughs> and my wife said, yeah? She goes, is that a mistake? <laughs> and my, my wife goes, no. And my mom is just, she was just blown away. You know, and what it, for, for me, you know what it was? It wasn't how smart her son was. It was how good God is, is what it was. You know, and, and when I think about this, look, I, I'm not down on education. I've, I've spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours studying the Word of God, reading the Word of God, trying to learn God's heart and God's way, not only for my life, but for this church, for my family, for this world that we live in. And I think all of us should. Uh, I remember when God called me to preach, I had a decision to make. And, you know, sometimes some of you may have heard some of these you get around some people and they're like ah you don't need to go to bible college you just you know that's all of, of man you know and some people they're just so negative about going off to bible college and listen i just i, I don't think you have to go to bible college but i think i look here i knew i needed it if i was going to be able to be effectively to be used by god to help people and and i said lord if that's what i need to do then then i'll go and, and that's why I went to Bible college, because I wanted to help people. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that, that needeth not to be ashamed. And here's the, here's the part, 
rightly dividing the word of what? The word of truth. Cutting it straight. Making sure that, that we're not changing, watering down, compromising the word of God. Folks, listen, what we need and what this world needs is what the Bible says. And that's what we need to be sharing with them. And when I think of this matter of a scholastic pride, look, scholasticism and intellectualism will actually kill us. Sometimes people spend, you, you, ever, you ever sat and listened to somebody, you don't have this problem with me, but you ever sat and listened to somebody who's so smart that you can't understand anything they say? Everything just goes right over everybody. You know, now, a lot of times I'll just talk about it this way, and maybe I shouldn't use this analogy, but, you know, I liken it to this when it comes to teaching, that I like to put things on all shelves. Now, what I mean by that is that, that I think that from time to time there needs to be some things on the top shelf where you have to reach for it. Because if I put everything on the bottom shelf, that's too easy. And then there's plenty of shelves in between. So when it comes to learning, we, we need to understand that God's the same way. You know, Miss Mickey sent me an email today, and from time to time she will, other people do. And she said, Pastor, I don't get this verse, you know. And when I sent it back to her, she's like, oh, I get that. I understand that, you know. But, but again, sometimes I have to do the same thing, Miss Mickey. I have to search the scriptures. I have to ask God. See, what, what's happening when it comes to this matter of education Okay, And again, there's nothing wrong with it, but we're allowing education to elevate us to where we get puffed up with the knowledge that we have to where we become this elite status of people. You say, what are you talking about? Well, Isaiah knew a little bit about it. Look what it says in your notes there, Isaiah 47.10. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee, and thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Now, do you, you see that one verse? If you look at it carefully, you can see there's a connection between knowledge and pride. You know, all the diplomas and all the, the, the degrees that we have. Again, there's nothing wrong with them. But when you look at that, what happens is, is that pride comes in. We are instructed, yes, when you, when you look at the Word of God, we are instructed to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, not unto man. So when, when, you, when you think about this, when pride enters the picture, what does it do? Pride drives us away from the Lord. You know, it, it's all about self. And, and what happens is, is that this whole process, it's, it, it's an evolution. God doesn't choose. When you study the Word of God, here's what you find. I love studying so many books in the Bible, really all the Word of God. But for years, I've just, I've just been enamored with the book of Acts. And when I look at the book of Acts, I see, and I think it's still true today, when, even when I think about myself and others that I know, God doesn't choose people, uh, God doesn't choose to use people based on their intelligence. If he, if he did, I wouldn't be being used today. It, it, it has nothing to do with how smart somebody is. He often can't use people that, that are in that situation because their pride would try to get all the credit for it. 
Their pride would be the, the one taking the credit for who they are, what they've said, what they've, what they've preached. Look what the Bible says, and I think this helps us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 27. God has chosen what? The foolish things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> you know that it had to aggravate the Pharisees and the religious crowd of the day when Jesus spoke in parables and other things, and they couldn't get it, but some of the simplest people got what he was saying. I would have loved to be there some of those times. But the Bible says God's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are, why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. You study the word of God, New Testament of your Bible. One of the greatest Christians that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. Without a question, I think Paul was, was the, one of the most gifted and most educated men in the New Testament. This man was trained. This man was talented. He was a great speaker. Now, again, his appearance might not have been much based on some things you read from, from the scriptures and what you might get out of it. But here's what Paul wrote, and this is just one of many things that had this flavor to it. Listen to this. He wrote, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Paul was really saying, hey, those diplomas, that education, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't pale in comparison to what I can do for the Lord, how God can use my life. Paul knew that if God was going to use him, it would not be because of those diplomas or those de degrees that he had. Look, the world has diplomas and the world has degrees, but what the world doesn't have, Jesus. That's what the world needs. See, scholastic pride gets in the way of that. It, it brings about to where we want to start to compromise. Uh, I won't give you the whole history. Maybe you know some of this, but back in the 1940s, there was a, there was a movement that came along that basically was centered around uh, some of this scholastic intellectual, uh, and really what it was is it was a defection away from biblical fundamentalism. It was kind of a, more of a liberal mindset. Uh, there's some people that became very uh, popular and famous through this. But, you know, when you go back and study that and you look where that movement, where those things have gone, can I tell you today that we're still anchored to the same truth we were back then, but they're, they're ever so far away from the truth today, that, that group that has followed? And, and as you think about that mindset, look, if we're not careful, I think the same thing could be true of us. I know it could be true of me or anybody else that our scholastic pride, if we're not careful, will cause us to many times to sit down and have dialect with the very enemies of Christ. And you say, well, pastor, you really think that? Hey, remember what they tried to do with Daniel and those Hebrew boys? They took them into their land and they tried to change everything about their life, which included their indoctrination. You think to yourself, how did Daniel stand in his day the way that he did? How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, here's everyone else that bows down in the plains, but there's three Hebrew boys just standing there going, we're not going to bow down. Our God, they said, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. You know, how does that happen, folks? 
because they understood how important the truth was. Daniel, we, and I think in this day we live, we, there needs to be more Daniels. Dare to be a Daniel, to not defile yourself with the things of this world. Scholastic pride will defile us. Be a Nehemiah. Hey, listen, Nehemiah says, look, I'm, I'm staying on the wall. This is the work God gave me to do. I cannot come down. It's too important. Sunday morning, we talked about Moses. Moses was taken out of the, out of the, the, uh, the, the, the river there, and he was taken to the palace. And he refused to become, be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to identify himself with the world. But see, a lot of people, a lot of Christians today, they will just associate with and they will compromise. Can I tell you tonight, God did not save us to impress the world with our scholasticism. God saved us as we are here to impact our world for the Lord Jesus Christ. See, one thing that will, will cause us to drift and to change and to compromise the truth is scholastic pride. But notice a second one that will also do that is a scorning of principles. Now look back in 2 Timothy, if you still have the Bible open there, look at verse number 8. He says here in verse number 8, because in verse 7 he says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. In verse 8 he gives some examples here. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, there's Moses again, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Now, this is, this is another, the scorning of principles. Now, you think of principles, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the truth. And scorning something is to reject it. You know, it's saying, no, thank you. I, I don't want that. You know, it's kind of like a little kid with vegetables. And, and you know what's good for us? Just like vegetables are good for our body physically, the Word of God is good for us too. And God's, God's saying, look, don't be telling me that you don't need this. You need it more than you know you need it. So when we get to this verse here, look, we must learn, again, to think biblically. We have to think theologically. We have to develop in our lives. We have to ask God, James says, ask God for wisdom. Ask God to give you understanding so that you can understand what it is that God would have for you. And we had better think long and hard and not go down this road as these two that are mentioned here, Janus and Jambres, who, who turned their backs on the truth. That's what they did. So many today. Look, I went to guys I went to Bible college with who have turned their backs on the truth. They've decided, look, that's... That's not, that's not what I, I believe anymore. And I don't know much about this Janus and Jambres, but look, listen to what it says. Look back at the verse. It says they resisted the truth and they withstood Moses. Now you think about that. You know, when you look in the Bible, Numbers 12, 3, it says there, Moses, the, the man, Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, we, we've known, we studied the fruits of the Spirit a while back, that meekness is not weakness. It's, it's control. Jesus was meek and lowly. And, and so when you, when you see this here, you see that, that Moses was very meek. You know, God himself describes Moses as his friend in the Bible. 
He said, Moses was the friend of God. So it seems to me like Moses was probably a pretty easy leader to follow. But these two men, they withstood him. And when I look at the world that we're living in, look, I would say at least 50 years, probably more. But at least over the last 50 years, our world has been indoctrinated those that live in this world to question authority. Isn't that true? I can't tell you how many times that my wife and I have had this conversation. You guys have grown children about our, our kids' age, where, where my wife and I will be talking and, and, and we'll hear somebody say something to their parents. And my wife will look at me and she'll say, we would have never done that to our parents. We'd have got our teeth kicked in if we'd have done that to our parents. But nowadays, it's just like they question everything when it comes to authority. And this has been going on for so long that nobody even thinks anything about it now. It it is. It's become the norm for for a lot of people. And, And listen, when you study the Bible, you can't find anywhere in the Word of God. The Bible does not teach us to question authority. You cannot find it in the Bible. Now, there are times where people, they ask God. They didn't, it wasn't in a negative sort of way. But look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 13. And by the way, there's two great verses. I didn't put the other one, but if you want to look at the other one there in Hebrews 13, two good verses, verse 7, and then the one I gave you, verse 17. In verse 17, it says, obey them. It doesn't say question them. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now look at this verse. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable. It's unprofitable for you. Don't question. Understand, you ought to be thankful that you've got somebody like that in your life. Instead of questioning them, look, I'm going to tell you something. I have been in, I've lost track how many churches I've been a member of, and I've uh, I've been on staff under pastors in quite a few different ministries. I have never, I have never questioned one man that I've ever been under in a church. Never. Now, there's been a few times where I thought to myself, you know, I don't know about that. But you know what? I I just come to understand, like David was with Saul, that's God's business. That's not my business. Now, there are times, even in our church constitution, there's two, there, I won't go through it with you tonight, but there's two reasons that that if a pastor does one of these two things, that really he he should be disqualified from being a pastor. I agree with that. Those are biblical grounds. But, but again, if, if, unless it's one of those areas, you shouldn't question. Children questioning parents, excuse me, who pays the bills? Who buys the food? You know, I'm thinking to myself, Brother Flynn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And you can see that. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just read this afternoon... Uh, I think it was 1995, uh, Madame O'Hare and her son and somebody else disappeared. All three of them, just gone. They disappeared. She was the woman that, that spearheaded that. 
and, and she disappeared. And they found them, all three of them were murdered by a man that actually was working for them or with them. And later on, they found her diary. And here's what she wrote numerous times in her diary. I just wish someone would love me. That's what she wrote in her diary. You can't have love without God. And you can't, listen, God is truth. His word is truth. And, and when you look at this matter of, of the scorning of principles, look, the challenge, I'll give you this challenge. You take it for yourself, all right? Look in the Bible, study the word of God, see if you can find somebody in the Bible that rebelled against authority and won. See if you can find someone. Can I just save you some time? You're not going to find anyone. But you know what you will find? People that rebelled against authority and lost. Lucifer, Cain, Achan. There are quite a few people. Saul, that basically rebelled against authority and they lost their fight. And when we display a sinful arrogance, when we think that we are smarter, and this is... This is, you know, not just this generation. This has been going on for quite some time. They, they think they're smarter than the leaders God has placed over them. That's dangerous ground. That, you know what that is? That's the spirit of Janus and Jambres. Because they think they're smarter. Anybody else's children think that they're smarter than you? You know? By the way, I was the same way with my dad. I can remember a time where I thought, my dad's old and he's outdated. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Then I got a little bit older and I realized how smart my daddy really was. But see, some people never come to that understanding. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 15. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Even in Jeremiah's day, the weeping prophet they call him. People were challenging the principles of the Word of God, scorning the Word of God. Look what it says here in Jeremiah 32. They have turned, turned unto me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them. Yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction, but they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. Look here, you've got somebody that God has placed authority in your life. Here's what they did. Here's what Jeremiah said. Watch this. This is exactly what they did. And that's, there's no other way to say it, but I don't want to listen to you. It's kind of like the child that sticks the fingers in the ear. I refuse to hear what you're saying to me. And remember, Jeremiah was the prophet of God. He was sharing the message of God. So it wasn't... Jeremiah they were rejecting, it was God they were rejecting. See, anything we do, ultimately we're sinning against God. And this scorning of principles has become so prevalent, and it, it's, it's just taking people on, down that journey of compromise. Principles from the Word of God that have been loved, that have been taught, listen to this, that have been died for. People have given their life for the principles of the Word of God. And yet, what do we see? We're seeing that they are being compromised even in our day. Uh, let me just say this. Remember this statement. Scorned principles always leads to sinful practices. If you're going to reject the word of God, what's going to happen is it, the, the fruit of that, the end of that is going to be sinful practices. So that's, that's a second one. But notice a third component tonight that will head down that road to compromise 
Number three is a spurned preparation. Now go back to 2 Timothy. We're just going verse by verse right here because Paul just covers it right here. So look at verse, verses number 10 and verse number 11. He says here, But thou, he says, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, when I look at this here, I think to myself, back when, when I was in Bible college, and I, I've heard a lot of students saying the same thing, you know, when, when I was there, it was like God had, had burdened my heart to go preach the Word of God. And, and you get there, and four years is a long time. But the reality is, it's not. But when you start college, you think, this is forever. I'm going to be here forever. And so you're thinking to yourself, I, I got to get done. I got to get out of here. I got to go preach. And, and that's a lot of times you hear them talking about that. You're, you know, look, I, I've got this urgency. I've got to get out of here. But again, listen, to be there was part of the preparation. You've got to have proper prep. Look, I'm, I'm glad to this day that I stayed. I'm glad to this day that I received the preparation that I did. It's helped me even to this very day. And it reminds me of Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God orders our steps. You know what I started to think after I finally got over myself, I thought this, look, God knew I was coming. He was the one that sent me to this Bible college. God knew it was going to be four years. God knew the classes that I was going to end up taking. He knew the teachers that were going to be my teachers, my instructors. He knew everything I was going to do when I was in Bible college. You know why? Because he ordered my steps. But see, it's all a part of the process. And see, a lot of people today, what they're doing is they're spurning the process, the preparation that God has for us. And when we look at preparation, a lot of times, here's what we think. What a waste of time. How many of you, how many of you love to paint? Not many. You know, painting is amazing because now some people are really good. I have a shaky hand, but when I paint, I actually can paint without shaking too bad. But when I paint with my wife, she tapes up everything. She puts, if she's going to paint the wall, she'll put tape on the ceiling and she puts tape around the doorknobs and she'll put tape on the baseboard. Anybody else do all that? You put out drop cloths, all that stuff. I don't do any of that. I just, I paint right around the doorknob like that. I, I paint right up against the ceiling without anything there. You know why? Because I think it's a waste of time. But I'll tell you this, if you, if you do that, if you prepare and you don't spurn that process, it makes painting a whole lot easier. I mean, once you grab it, uh, give me a roller and I can fly with a roller, you know? I mean, I can put on about 16 gallons in one day, no problem. There's no carpet on the floor. I don't have to worry about drop cloths. I don't, you know, all that type of stuff. I can, I can put it on. You see, a lot of times we think of preparation as a waste of time. But if we spurn the preparation, what's going to happen is we're going to shortcut the product. I was, I was sitting in Bible college and I was, I, I, was, I was in there. I didn't have the privilege to go to a Christian school. Um, I, I went to a good old Catholic school. And, and I, honestly, I got a good education at the hands of the nuns, you know. And uh, they, they, they knew their stuff, and I was glad that they did. I, I, was, I actually got a good uh, 
good dose of English when I was in there, grammar, and I still drive my kids crazy even to this day with my grammar sometimes. But I was sitting in, uh, in first day in, in grammar class in college. And when you're, when you're a freshman in college and you're taking grammar, you're in class with all these kids that just graduated high school. They literally just graduated high school a couple months ago and they're starting college. I've been out of school for 13 years. I thought I forgot everything that I ever learned. And I'm sitting, in, I'm sitting there and they, the teacher gives a test in the first week and I thought, how can she give a test? She hasn't taught us anything. And what it was is it was the teacher's way of finding out what the students really knew. Well, I didn't know anything. They invented uh, gerunds, infinitives and participles after I graduated from high school. Now, some of you are looking at me funny because you don't know what a gerund, an infinitive, and a participle is either. But I'm sitting in, so I'm taking this, this kid sitting in front of me, I mean, it was a full-on test. And he just flew through this thing. I was amazed. He got done, got up, walked up, laid the test on the teacher's desk, and walked out. I was like, whoa, that kid's smart. Two days later, we come back. We met three days a week. We came back into class, and we sat down. Teacher got up, and she said, now, listen, I graded those tests, and I want to pass those back. I want to go over them. I was like, oh, she's going to pass back the test. I don't want to see it. You know, like, and so she starts passing back. I don't remember. I think I got a C or something. I don't know what it was because, like I said, I didn't know what a gerund, an infinitive, or a participle were. And so she passes them back, and, the, and, and I was sitting there, and I wasn't spying, but the kid was sitting at the right angle. The kid that got done real quick and got up and walked out, he was sitting there, and he, he had the biggest letter F on his paper I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, well, I guess he's not as smart as I thought he was. You know, preparation. When I, when I was doing construction work, my dad, I worked with my dad for about 11 years, and I, I, I'm so glad, especially with my dad passing, that I, I got the, the time to spend working with my dad. And, you know, when you, do, when you do drywall taping and finishing, the most important part of the process is the first application where you put the tape on. Because if you don't get some of the compound on the drywall before you put the tape on and then you, and then you start the next process, you're going to get what they call blisters. And my dad used to stand over him. Boy, if there's any blisters, you're going you're gonna to cut them out. You're going to fix them. I mean, my dad, he hounded me. But I was glad that he did because he taught me how to do things the way they needed to be done. It was all a part of the preparation. We may not always like, if I can use this word, the cycle that we're in. You may not like the cycle that you're in right now, but look here. If you're in a cycle of life, understand God's the one that is allowing you to go through that cycle. You may not like what you're going through, but God has a reason for you to be there. And if you're going to reject the preparation that will, that will cause us, as we reject the preparation, it's, what it's going to do is it's going to cause us to cut corners. And when we start cutting corners, guess what we're going to do? We're going to compromise. And so, so one of the elements is this spurning of the preparation. There's got to be the preparation. And look again at verse number 10 and 11. Paul says to Timothy, look, you have fully... You know everything about me, Timothy. Look at how he starts. My doctrine, what I believe, my manner of life, the way I live my life, purpose, why I'm here, what God saved me for. He says, my faith, 
Hey, Timothy saw Paul's faith. I could go on with this list, but look, all of that, think about everything God had done in Paul's life to prepare him for the man that he became, the great apostle Paul. And remember, he's the man that was vehement against Christianity. He hated Christianity. But God prepared this man to be doing the great work. See, that was the cycle of life. But look, if Paul would have spurned that, he would have never became the Apostle Paul that we know. And all of this can lead to compromise. Look at the last one right here in verse number 12. We see a scary persecution. In, in verse 12, look at it. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. What's those three words? Shall shall suffer persecution. How many of you, how many of you, the Bible has all kinds of promises in it, doesn't it? How many of you like that promise? That's one of the promises I don't really like. If you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, you shall, mark it down, it's going to happen. You're going to suffer persecution. People say, well, that's why I don't want to be a Christian, because I don't want to suffer. Well, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I'd rather suffer for the cause of Christ and have God with me than to suffer without God. Listen, you, you, you go by the bedside of, of, of someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, it is an awful thing. But you go by the bedside of a saint, when they're, when they're about to step out into glory, totally different. There's a peace there that only, only God could give to somebody. Look, the Bible has all these promises, but no one gets excited about being persecuted. The Bible actually, actually tells us that when the persecution come, and it, it's actually, Peter describes them as fiery trials, which should try us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you have been through some. We have some of our members right now that are going through some of those. And look at the Bible, it, it actually tells us, don't be alarmed, look what Peter writes, beloved, think it not strange. In other words, it, it's, it, for the Christian, it shouldn't be a, a, a weird thing. He says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. I thought you were talking about a fiery trial. Yeah, the Bible says rejoice. As, in as much as you are partakers of whose sufferings? Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Somebody says, oh, you're a Christian. Yes, I am. You know, you couldn't have given me a better compliment. The Bible says, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, <laughs> he's glorified. God gets the glory out of that. That's what he says here. But look, folks, I think all of us understand if you've been saved for any length of time, we can't expect the world to be on our side and love us for our stand for the Lord. It's just not going to happen. People aren't going to walk up to you and say, man, I just, I'm so glad you're a Christian. I just, I just love. Now, there are some that, that our lives will influence them, just like Paul's did with Timothy. But the reason this people are not not going to be happy and, and, and say, listen, I just, I just love who you are and what you, what you stand for. Look what Jesus said in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would have his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. It's easy to stand as long as it's easy. Did you hear me? It's easy to stand as long as it's easy. But see, when our faith is put to the test, the fiery trials come when our convictions, and remember, convictions are based on what? Principles, truth, what we believe. When our convictions are tested, and they will be, probably if you've been living for the Lord, they probably already have been tested. But when our convictions are, are being tested, here's what we do is we tend to compromise rather than suffer. We start to change. I don't like that. Remember, I, I told you, nobody's a fan of suffering. But that's where we have to stand. You either believe it or you don't, folks. It's either the Word of God or it's not. But if, if, you, if your convictions are strong, then why compromise? Just, just continue to, to trust the Word of God. Now, when, when you look at this, look, when the, the attacks come, we can either compromise or we can do what the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 wrote. Look at this. Looking unto Jesus, that's what we need to be doing, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him. I mean, in other words, just stop and think for a minute. When, when you're being attacked, when somebody wants you to change what you believe, somebody wants you to compromise on something, then consider the Lord. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Go back and visit Calvary if you need to. Think about all that Jesus went through. And he, look, he, 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 for the joy that was set before him. I mean, would we think of Calvary that way? Would we think of dying on the cross that way? But that's what the Bible says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. Compromise is not an event. It's an evolution. It really is. And with each attack on the truth, you know what? We're attempted we're, we're, we're tempted in our lives to change our convictions. Now, remember, what is the truth? Well, you know what the truth is? Jesus. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth. And remember what the Bible says, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. He's an unchanging God. So where do we get off trying to change the truth? See, we need to be careful about that. We don't think it matters sometimes, but in the end, you know what will happen? If you keep changing the truth, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be nothing left. Right? I mean, what's going to be left for our children, our, our children's children? For the generations to come. And that's the tragedy of changing. Is if we change, eventually there won't be any truth left. And I hope, I hope somehow, some way uh, from this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that God has spoken to you. And, and just look here, just stay on the firing line. Stand for the truth. I, look, it's easy when it's easy. But when, you're, when your faith is being put to the test, Paul says, Timothy, you've known my, 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 my manner of life. You've known my doctrine. You've fully known it. And let's change not, folks. And you know how, look here, you know how you can 
You can show that you're not going to change, that you're here next week, you're here next year, you're here five years from now. You know why? Because the truth doesn't change. And we shouldn't either. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. And I thank you for these uh, thoughts tonight from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are living in perilous times. Lord, it's, it's just sad to see uh, the state of affairs of our world. <clears throat> and we understand that you're in control. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, I always appreciate when I'm out driving a car and I see a sign that helps me to understand maybe that uh, the road, there's no outlet. So I don't want to go down that road because it goes nowhere. I have to come right back out. Uh, Lord, I'm always thankful for the warning signs that you give us in the Word of God and sometimes for being, even being in a church service. And Lord, I pray that we would learn from these that we might never compromise and, and change the Word of God, change the truth. And Lord, what this world needs is the truth because you said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And the devil knows that. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to protect the truth and to give it out all we can. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.